I'm your host, Dana Giordano, and this is the More Than Running podcast. In this fifth season of More Than Running, I'm branching out to tell more stories that are untraditional from the track and trails and now beyond. More Than Running is hosted on the Sidious Mag podcast network, and every week I will be bringing you new conversations about the most inspiring and insightful women I know and want to know. Whether they're doing amazing things on the track or working tirelessly to promote the sport as industry leaders and entrepreneurs, hear how they found success. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave me a review. Every message and subscriber helps me reach more people who are connected by this amazing sport. With that, welcome to the show. This episode of More Than Running is brought to you by Solomon. I've been partnering with Solomon for the first few episodes of this season because I am running my first trail half marathon, the women's only trail half marathon right here in my backyard in San Francisco, right over the bridge in Marin. And if you don't know a lot about Solomon, they were born in the French Alps in 1947, and they have an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear. It's my first time ever running in trail shoes, and... I can't believe it's taken me this long because they're really perfect for any runner on any train, no matter the challenge. And they're creating all this with a why not spirit. From trail running to snowboarding, Solomon's goal is to make gear that transforms sport experiences because tomorrow is yours. All right, welcome back to More Than Running with Dana. This is a Sidious Mag podcast and we are kicking off a new season of conversations with female athletes who are really making strides on and off the track. And this week's guest is Emily Cole. Emily is a fourth year student at Duke, a student athlete, of course, competed at the steeplechase at NCAA Blaze and at USA's this past year. And you may have seen Emily all over social media because she's really making strides all over TikTok and Instagram and being advocate for other female athletes in the NIL space but she is also an author and here to tell her story about her upcoming book, The Player's Plate, that stemmed from some personal, a personal place for her about learning more about your nutrition and sharing that with other athletes. So we're gonna get more into that on this episode, but without further ado, welcome Emily. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Dana. I'm so excited to be on the show. And that was a great intro, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, I got to get it all in. You were too multifaceted <laughs> for me to miss something. But let, let's start about where where are you right now? Like, are you in your – you're probably not in a dorm because you're a senior. You're probably on off-campus house <laughs> somewhere. But it's September 8th, the day that we're recording this. So time and place, where are you? I am a couple weeks into school now. So I'm actually in my apartment, and um, I had – practice this morning so kind of got back from practice and super excited to come on the show but yeah we've we've been in class for a couple of weeks now so kind of getting back into the swing of things with training for cross-country season coming up we have our first meet next weekend so are you kind of one of these track runners who enjoys cross-country or is it just something that you check the box I find that steep alerts can kind of go either way because you know it's a 3k distance so you should you know it's more on the endurance side of things so yeah. are you very into cross country or is it just something like I got to get through cross country to get to the track season? Um, that's a great question. And I definitely have not had a great time over the past few years, but I also had other things going on that I didn't realize. I'll like, I'll get more into it later, but basically I realized last year that I have celiac disease, which is where when you, it's basically an autoimmune disease whenever you have gluten. And so the only cure is like to not have gluten and it's made a huge difference in my running career, which is why I was able to have such a significant change for my track season last year because I knew this detail. So I'm hoping that this year I can change my experience with cross country. Fingers crossed, but we'll see. <laughs> well, you know, I am nice and washed up now, but I did do four years <laughs> of NCAA cross country and I will say that you don't really get to do it again. There is, yeah. you know, club cross country and there is U.S. cross country. It was never the same as running with your team. Yeah. And that was the best part about it that I really yeah. loved was the team aspect. And you guys totally have agree. so much competition right in your backyard. You've got, mm -hmm. obviously, NC State is on the rise. Um, yeah. Your team, then uh, 
UNC as well. It's like, you don't guys don't even need yeah. to leave the state. Exactly. No, it's like we could just go to like little local meets all year long and we're facing the national champions. So <laughs> it's very so, good. For your celiac, let's mm-hmm. let's hop right in here. That's love it. Some, how do you? I feel like it comes up a lot that people do have celiac disease, and it kind of seems so frequent that it's like how could everyone have something that's affecting them so much? And it happens a lot in runners. So, for your journey, were there signs and symptoms that you thought it was something else before you figured out it was celiac? Um, I actually don't know many people that have it, so... Oh, really? Okay, maybe yeah. I know too many people that have it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I didn't know what it was whenever I got okay. diagnosed with it, so I think that definitely contributed to me taking so long to figure out that I had it, because I always, like, had digestion issues. Like, I'd always get more bloated than everyone else, and, like, didn't seem to have the same, like ability to tolerate food as everyone else but I just thought that's how I was like I didn't really think anything of it and then the biggest thing that really caused me to go do some tests and get things checked out was last cross-country season I was I was training super well feeling super fit and very excited for every race and then every race I would go out and like nearly pass out halfway through gosh and I was like I remember at regionals, like I was like in like the top group about halfway through. And then I just started like seeing stars. And for like the last K, it was like all I could do to just stay on my feet and like continue like basically jog walking to the finish line. And so I was like, this is not normal. Like, this is not okay. We train, I run like 50 to 60 miles a week. I should be able to run four miles. Like, I don't know what the big deal is. And so I came back and I'm super grateful to have such a supportive team here at Duke. I was like, I, can y'all please help me? I'd like to do some tests, do something. Um, and my nutritionist and doctor here had kind of thought about doing a celiac test for a while. And so they're like, all right, let's, let's get some other things measured. And there are a couple different things that can be signs of celiac, like being low in B12 or being super um, nutrient deficient. But I'm actually, because I'm so passionate about nutrition, like I'm very good about taking my supplements and like eating really like nutritious Mm -hmm. and like making sure that I get enough calories every day. And so I wasn't showing any of the normal signs that people do when they have celiac, but whenever I got tested, I had it. And I then realized that my training was going well because I didn't really eat that much gluten. Like I, my training was going well and I ate pretty like um, whole foods throughout the week, not really much gluten breads and whatnot. But then right before races, a bagel. (laughs) Exactly. And then right before races, I was like, I'm going to have a giant bowl of pasta to like carb load for tomorrow's race. And so I was like, yeah, I would have a bunch of carbs like right before my races, even though I didn't really throughout the rest of the week. And that's why it was such a stark difference. And it, it all makes sense now, but that was how I, I really figured it out. And now it really makes sense. Like looking back throughout my running career, I was able to see really big strides my senior year of high school. And I was like, wait a second. I was unintentionally eating gluten-free for that period. And I just didn't realize like that's probably what a big contributor of it was. But yeah, it's been a, a very big shift in life. <laughs> yeah, I think that for a lot of you know women that you know, listen to this podcast or kind of trying to figure out their nutrition and running, it's, it's a hard thing to understand what your body needs because especially that transition from high school to college, you know, a lot of female runners are not running super high mileage in high school. Their parents are cooking from them. And then the transition to college, it's, you have to make a lot more decisions about exactly. your nutrition. And I do think that there has been a lot of progress in the fueling side of things of like, um, there's been some really positive conversations of food, mm-hmm. food as fuel and you need to be stronger to continue running, especially with how fast the NCAA has come. But it is definitely one thing that I've noticed is it seems like there are a lot of female runners have an incident and then that's when the moment happens to make a change and it's not just a natural progression. So I know that for 
you mentioned you were interested in food and nutrition prior to learning about celiac. Like, let's rewind a little bit and talk about kind of your transition from high school to college. And um, when you did make that big training jump, um, what led you to Duke in the first place? Yeah, so my story is pretty different than most runners. I actually did, I was way more focused on volleyball and basketball. So I didn't think I was going to run in college. I was at a big 6A Texas high school, so it was very ambitious of me to want to do all four sports um, with cross country, volleyball, track, and basketball. There's only three seasons. Which one which was the <laughs> double? I don't get it. It was cross country and volleyball at the same time. So my freshman year, I did like cross country in the morning and volleyball after school. And then my sophomore year, I actually quit cross country because I hated it. And I like loved volleyball. I literally just did cross country to stay in shape for track. And because my coach was super awesome and he like was very adamant about recruiting me and like asking me to come out there with mm-hmm. everyone. That's such a Texas thing to have morning. Yeah. Practice. Like no one else does that. <laughs> yeah. And going to like the 5am practices because it's so hot after school. Um, but yeah, so then my junior year was the first year that I didn't do club sports. I had been doing club volleyball and basketball too. And so I was basically running around all the time, super busy, which is, I think, what has helped me be able to handle so many things on my plate now, because I've been doing it, you know, for eight years now and just kind of figuring out how to make things fit into the time that you allow them. But anyways, my senior year, I decided I wanted to focus on running and that kind of was inspired by my regional race, uh, my junior year in high school, when I like wanted to break five in the mile, my pair was like five eleven. And I was like on pace for three laps. And the last lap, I just blew up and ran like a 517. And I was like, okay, I want to break five next year. So I was like, I had nothing, I had nothing really on the line because I wasn't planning on playing college sports. And so that summer I got more into nutrition and was focusing on running for the first time. I was like, wow, like you don't have to feel terrible from volleyball practice the night before. You can actually feel recovered running in the morning. I kind of feel like those two sports go super poorly with each other. Yeah. It's like the the vert, I can only imagine your Achilles was just like stretched and fried and yeah, <laughs> just exhaustion. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, but I didn't do a lot of mileage, so that definitely helped. Um, but that senior year, I definitely got more into nutrition and I – was fascinated by how much better it made me feel running, just feeling well. Because I am very grateful that I never had a household that was like, my parents were never like controlling what I ate at all. And that kind of goes another direction too of like, I could literally eat whatever I wanted. So like I would just have like sugary cereals and like all of the treats all the time and didn't know anything about nutrition. And so that senior year, it was really cool because it was, purely like self-motivated, just wanting to learn more about nutrition and, you know, getting in enough protein and learning about macros and different things like that. And I was so fascinated by it. But, you know, as a lot of runners have the story, it's like you get too interested in it and then you like think that everything needs to be super healthy. And so Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting enough salt in my food. And I also didn't know what electrolytes were. I didn't realize that they were important to have in your fluids. And I'm also in a very salty sweater. So there's a big spectrum of whether you're a salty sweater or not. And I'm clearly like when I finish workouts, I've got like salt lines on my uniform and whatnot. So definitely a very salty sweater. And since I was eating, you know, no processed foods, I was cooking on my own, didn't put a lot of salt in it, and then wasn't having electrolytes, I started getting really low in sodium um, that cross-country year of my senior year. And I didn't realize what was happening, but it was hard for me to focus in conversations. I, like, couldn't really focus in class, but I wasn't, like, enjoying the same things as I was before. And I didn't realize that these different, like, signs and symptoms of, like, depression and anxiety can come from this malnutrition. And... I, the night before my state meet, it was basically, I just needed to get through the state meet because I had never even become close to qualifying. And I finally qualified and I was like, you know, lined up to be one of the top 10 girls. I was like, this is going to be breakout year. It's going to be amazing. And I just need to get through the state meet and then I'll have some time to rest. And 
crazy enough, the night before the state meet, like that weekend was whenever my like deficiency got so low that I started becoming really sick that uh, day before that we traveled up for the race. And we thought that I had just eaten something bad for lunch, but it's funny how the body works. It makes literally no sense. Um, I had gotten so low in sodium that like my body's response was I got sick and I was so throwing up, but that made me even more low in sodium. So that night um, I basically went to sleep in the hotel room and my coach came in to check on me like an hour later because it was like 7 p.m. You know, I was not doing, he came with my teammate and like shook my shoulder and it looked like I had a seizure. So he knew obviously something was really wrong and they called the ambulance and called my parents to come back and rode with the medics to the hospital. And I was essentially so low in sodium for anyone listening who like knows medical terms. My levels were 121. Um, but I basically went into a self-induced coma for two days and the like whenever the way the reason why it took so long is because when you get to the hospital they can put they can raise the sodium levels in your bloodstream but they have to do it very slowly because as most people probably know when you have a lot of sodium you swell but that can make your brain swell which can be extremely dangerous if your brain swells too much that can be just as dangerous so this they is had horrifying yeah <laughs> it was very very big like wake up call especially just being like a senior in high school and like not ever having any health issues before. Like I'd never been to the hospital and I was just like, it was, you know, I went from zero to 100. If my coach hadn't come in to check on me that night, like I wouldn't have made it through the night. And it's really scary thinking about that. And my parents don't like whenever I say that. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, that's, it's true though. It's like you, it's like you were doing quote unquote all the right things exactly. as well. Like you were paying attention to your health probably more than a typical high school student was because you wanted to be better at your sport. So exactly. it's like a betrayal too of like that focus, like coming back at you that mm-hmm. it's like you have to reset everything, like what you've learned to that point. Exactly. Um, and I think that's kind of the danger of people trying to like teach themselves sports nutrition is that you can get into those places and the danger of not speaking with a professional, like a registered dietitian, the, the, this is so to kind of finish that story. Um, I, they raised my sodium levels over those couple of days. And that was definitely a wake up call for me. Like you're saying is like, I was to the outside person. I was doing everything right. Like picture perfect. And I was running well and I like looked super fit. People were like, Oh, like she's doing everything right. But clearly I wasn't. And there was this huge piece missing that became life-threatening. And that's really what inspired me to write the book. Because mm-hmm. I realized, like, eating healthy, like, even if you look up the definition of healthy, it's, like, wrong. Because it, like, is literally, like, you know, a diet low in fat and low in sodium. And it's just, like, two things that we are essential to runners. And so it's just, like, different societal implications like that of what healthy means and what athletes need to be doing to reach their full potential and become the best in their sport are so misleading and can be dangerous, can be, you know, very dangerous like it was for me. And I was like, I just wish there had been a guide for me to read at that time because I was so interested in it. And it was so like, it was so, my intentions were so pure trying to learn. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up being so dangerous. And I know there are so many young athletes who are, you know, invested and just really wanting to be the best they can be, but there wasn't something out there that kind of taught the fundamentals to help protect you from really big, scary issues like this, at least. And then, you know, to get your more personalized recommendations, obviously working with a professional is the most important thing you can do. So that's kind of what inspired the book. My sophomore year of college, whenever COVID hit, I took a gap semester that fall because we didn't have guaranteed competitions. And I was like, this is okay. This is my opportunity. This is when I'm going to do it. And um, like even just the introduction to the book is my story of going into a coma and like why, you know, it means so much to me and why it's so important that young athletes are educated on these topics and then my first chapter is about the importance of working with a registered dietitian. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I kind of hit on those two big things right at the beginning. 
Yeah, you kind of took the next question out of my mouth, which was, you know, obviously writing about nutrition. You know, you were university student. You're, you know, what what's your major right now? It's computer, it's computer science. Computer science. Okay, okay. <laughs> but but you know, not having like the exact certifications to like. Exactly. I think that's what question some people will ask. Oh my, my son is coming mm-hmm. in. My face looks like stripes now. But um, <laughs> by not having specific certifications. Of course. Has there been any, um, you know, questions about that? Like, you know, you're writing a new book about nutrition. Um, you are not a, currently a registered dietitian. Did you partner with any registered exactly. dietitians to create this book? Because I think that there's, runners especially, it's like I feel as if I'm a physical therapist too. Mm-hmm. Like I've yeah. been to enough physical therapists. I know the exercise. I'm like, I'm a physical therapist. I'm a strength trainer. I'm yeah. a coach. I'm actually certified in none of those things. Yeah. So could you talk about the process of making sure, because I know you mentioned like, you worked like about, you understand the importance of working with a registered mm-hmm. dietitian and working with professionals. So how yeah. did you ensure like that validity throughout the recommendations you're supplying in the book? Absolutely. So I, like that was something from the very beginning that I wanted to make sure that I made crystal clear that it wasn't like me just saying my thoughts throughout the whole book. Um, and I am very grateful to Rebecca Youngs. She is a registered dietitian. She is also a clinical dietitian and she, uh, clinical and sport, and she has been absolutely amazing. She like read through the entire manuscript and gave me recommendations, like added little things here and there, made sure that I had like different statements that were like, you know, clarifying, being like, make sure that you don't start any supplements or things like that without talking to a professional, making sure that everything was kind of up to par to you know, the professional standards. And then like, even on my own before that though, everything that I got was information that I have learned from registered dietitians. So whether I was citing their posts or their studies or, you know, research studies that they had shared, it was, it was always something that I had learned from them because there are so many that, you know, have great pages full of incredible information and resources on social media, like on Instagram and things like that. And so even if you don't have the ability to pay for one-on-one consultation with a registered dietitian, there are several that are doing incredible work, putting out free resources for athletes to learn from. And I'm like, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to kind of share their pages and their stories throughout the book too. But I did that. And you know, obviously have like citations to every study that I speak about in the book. And then also to make sure that it wasn't like just my perspective. One of the things I think really sets the book apart is I actually interviewed a bunch of elite athletes and oh, wow. asked them like what they wish they had known at the beginning Ooh, of their Can you give some, some a little taste? Like who are some of the people you highlighted? <laughs> yes, for sure. So I wanted to make sure it wasn't just running because I know I can get like the running world can get super small. And I wanted to make sure that every athlete could learn from this book. So I reached out to um, April Ross, you know, gold medalist in American sand volleyball, three-time Olympic medalist. And I have Jesse Thomas, two-time Ironman champion. I have Marshall Kozowski who plays for the Dodgers. And he was part of the organization when they won the World Series. And other athletes that like, they all have such unique, incredible stories. And every athlete that gets to that top level has had to work on their nutrition and figure out what works best for them and, and learn some hard lesson along the way. And so like, for example, Marshall, he got into a life-threatening car crash and he didn't think he'd ever be able to play baseball again. And then he is actually, you know, now made it up into working or playing with the Dodgers. And it's like the, the main realization that he had during his, or during his journey was realizing that nutrition and sleep played such a huge role in that recovery process after he had that injury. Like that's kind of when his light bulb was. And so on his chapter, I speak about like the different nutritional recommendations that there are to getting better sleep, different snacks you can have and different things you can make sure you do. Like having enough carbohydrates throughout the day can be huge into getting great quality sleep. And I think that's what's cool is like each chapter has its own lesson that comes from each of these athlete stories. So each athlete has their own chapter and their story. And then at the end of each chapter, 
I have a recipe that kind of teaches you how to put into practice the lesson that you just learned. Oh, I'm so excited. I haven't had a chance to read to read the book yet, but it's definitely something where I feel like there is a huge momentum around this space. Yeah. But I really, what I really appreciate is that I think your book makes it digestible for yeah. someone who's just kind of starting in their nutrition journey as mm-hmm. well. You know, I um, I'm just gonna say it. So I got Shalane Flanagan's book, which is a great book, like Run Fast Eat oh Slow, gosh. and Love it's amazing. It. But some of the ingredients are so high quality and so high end that we used to joke. They were like, run fast, eat slow, like spend all your money at Whole Foods because yeah. it's like really, really unattainable to yeah. like cook with almond flour and all these things to like get to that level. And I just don't think from my perspective that you, it's nice to have. Those are all nice to have, but really learning yeah. like these core inherent basics of, you know what, if you're a runner or you're a female athlete, you do need more carbohydrates. It should be more like half yeah. your plate than a quarter. Like yeah. all these just basic exactly. intuitive things that you do learn over time. And you know, that's what I'm hearing from you about your book is that this is kind of to be serving to someone who's starting their nutrition journey and really wants to make a big leap for themselves. Exactly. Yep. And I also have like, I even have like a, so the second chapter is all about the importance of getting in the kitchen and cooking. And I did give a Shalane and Elise a, a shout out because- I love their book. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's literally incredible. But their books are what like, I had first read from and like got me into nutrition and like learning how to like cook and whatnot. And it was, it was obviously super inspiring, like hearing both of their nutritional journeys. Elise actually, um, gave me a quote to put on the back of the book. So she read it and yeah, she's amazing. Um, but I was so excited whenever she responded. (laughs) I love that. that. Um, I'm obsessed with their muffin recipe. I just can't be spending all my money on almond flour every week. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I like, that's kind of the main reason why I made the recipes in my book, like super easy and like super simple because I was like, the, the kids who are going to be reading my book are not going to go make a gourmet meal. Like they want a smoothie recipe or they want a granola bar recipe. But I that <laughs> salmon filet burger one, mm, chef's kiss. Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. So I that's just, not like, happening in a dorm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they're also not getting like super crazy ingredients. And so that was kind of cool that I had that perspective and knowing that it's going to be a crowd, like no matter what age you are, like it just makes life easier if it's a little bit easier on the recipe side. And so I thought I knew that that would be something that everyone would appreciate. Um, and then I also like, I just loved getting to kind of test them out and, and be able to have that be a part of the book too, because learning how to get in the kitchen is a big piece of learning how to feel yourself correctly. So as you think about, you know, your upcoming book launch and the success, hopefully, of The Player's Plate, where would you love to see a copy? If you're just out (laughs) in an environment and you're like, wow, I'd never expected to see my book here. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I always grew up, like, going to Barnes & Noble and, like, shopping there. But I don't, like, I think that getting it into Barnes & Noble is actually, like, pretty, pretty normal. Like, like as far as the, the path that I'm going through, like how to get it into bookstores. So I think it'd be more cool, like seeing someone reading it that doesn't know, like I'm going to be there or like, just like seeing like a kid reading it or seeing Mm -hmm. like someone reading it out in public. I was thinking like the side tables, like in a college, you know, like if you visit another school and you like saw in the locker room or something, like an away Mm -hmm. team locker room. Yeah, no, that's definitely it. Because I just, like, I mean, even I posted, so I've, like, been sharing my whole journey of, like, publishing the book on Instagram and TikTok, but mainly Instagram because it it, it just allows you to speak a little bit more about everything. And um, I posted, a, like, last week, I was having to pick the price for what the price is going to go for on Amazon. It's, like, you have to pick the categories and you have to pick the price. And it was so cool because you know, you can, there's a span of like, I mean, you can make it whatever you want, but there's a reasonable span of about like $5. And I at first had it at like $16.99, I think. And I put it on my story and I was like, Hey y'all, like, what do you think about this price for the paperback? And be honest with me, like, tell me exactly what you think. I want to make sure that it's something that you all think is a reasonable value. And I had a lot of people, I had a few people 
tell me like, you know, you should go a little bit cheaper, but I actually had a lot of people tell me like, you should charge a little bit more. Like you've put a lot of research into this and a lot of time and it'll like show the value of the book. And it was so funny because it was almost like, you know, that kid thing when people tell you Mm -hmm. to do one thing and you want to do the other thing. (laughs) Um, But I actually like lowered the price and made it $14.99 because I was like, I realized in that moment, I kind of sat down. I was like, okay, what is my goal? Like, and Mm -hmm. I have never set out to write this book to like make money from it. Like that is not at all the goal. Any money that I make from the book will be like purely like cherry on top. It's way more about making sure that it gets out to as many young athletes as possible. And on that note, not just female athletes. Like I I talk Mm -hmm. in there about the importance of, you know, making sure that male athletes don't feel like, they yeah. don't have as much right to be, or like right to struggle nutritionally or want help. I think that that's definitely a stigma that can actually cause. Uh, there's actually a research study that I have in there that talks about how this stigma around it being mainly female athletes that need help can cause male athletes to take much longer to reach out for help, and therefore their their issues can become much more severe and dangerous mm-hmm. and even though it might be less of them that struggle, it could even be more severe because it's so less commonly spoken about. And that's something that I just really want to like push with this is that it's not just for female athletes Mm -hmm. and male athletes. It's just as important for them too. And everyone struggles with body image issues. Like it's not, anyways, I digress. I'll step off of my pedestal now. (laughs) No, I totally agree. I totally agree. We are women's only podcast, but there are lots of, you know, sons and brothers and teammates that definitely can hear that message as well. Because I I do think that there is such a sliding scale too of health. And I think the, um, you know, the topic of, you know, clean eating, orthorexia, Mm -hmm. like those edges of the spectrum of, you know, paying too much attention that you were speaking to earlier is still not widely known at all. So I I think it's a really important message. So to kind of finish that thought, that's why I was like, I want to go at the lower price because my main Mm. goal is to get it out to as many people as possible and make it as accessible as possible. So I was like, that was just cool that I kind of got to share that decision and like part of the journey with all my followers on Instagram. And that's really cool. Get that. It's like building in public. Have you heard of that? (laughs) Building in public. Like that's what you're doing. I actually haven't, but I love it. That's awesome. Oh, it's a very entrepreneurial thing, probably yeah. more so LinkedIn than the platforms you're on, but it's all about, yeah. you know, people will ask those type of questions of like, what do you think of this? And they'll have two cover options and, you know, yep. ask. I, that and too. <laughs> I think that's so fun and such a unique idea. Um, you're giving me the perfect opportunity to transition into <laughs> a little more uh, conversation on social media, which we had to touch on um, because you know, you've really leaned into social media, both mm-hmm. over on Instagram and on TikTok. That's where I first saw you was on TikTok <laughs> more so. And you've really taken advantage of a lot of the NIL opportunities, which is the name image likeness. So I am personally disappointed that NIL didn't happen when I was in school because it yeah. just seems like such a blast and a great time. And even yesterday I saw that you were named to Meta's Empower 2.0 um, gr- yeah. group of 30 um, female athletes that they're partnering with you guys with Facebook and Instagram. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, How do you have the time? (laughs) That is the question. You're writing a book. You seem to have a brand campaign every day. You just mentioned you're a computer science major, and that doesn't sound easy. Where, and, and, right, right. Like, let's put running back up at the top there. Like, let's not forget you're doing that too. So, and you're speaking to me. What's the balance and how do you prioritize your day? Yeah, that's a question that I get a lot. And I would definitely say that it's, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it. It, I'm learning every single day. I'm not like just someone who has like this perfect schedule that I follow to the T every day. It's very flexible. I think that's definitely something that has helped me is that I am very go with the flow and flexible. So when I can't get something turned in on time or when I have a 10 minute window, like I can fit it in and having that like low stress environment around everything and just like kind of not letting myself get stressed out about things I'm like when it happens it'll happen I'm gonna do as much as I can today and then I'm gonna get good sleep tonight um that's definitely one of the main things that I think has helped me but I I mean I definitely struggled when I was still writing the book I am thankfully finished with it now and now I just get to do things like this like talking with you which I love 
this is mainly what I really enjoy about it. And it was funny how through writing the book, I realized I was like, you know, it's not the most fun thing ever to revise what you've written a hundred times and read the same book 20 times over. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the main thing that was hard for me was whenever school came back into session and I was trying to really write down the content and like really put together the book because writing is so contrarian to like what our society is right now. Like this instant gratification, like being on social media, like to write a book, you have to have at least three hours just to get in the headset of like, you know, getting into the chapter that you want to work on and then you can get into the flow and like write a little bit. Mm, Not a lot of those windows. Yeah, (laughs) not a lot. And so that's why it ended up taking me so long. You know, it took two years. I started it that fall of my sophomore year and here I am the fall of my senior year and it's finally coming out. And I'm so grateful for the timing because I didn't even know that the new NIL laws were going to change. And so now I think I'm going to be the first athlete to publish a book with the new NIL laws. And that's super exciting and cool and something that I didn't plan for at all in, in the process. But yeah, figuring out the time management between everything, I definitely think that if I had taken a a little bit more time to like, if I had done a little bit more focused on the summer before that gap semester to writing it, that would have helped a lot because last year I struggled last fall. I was definitely had too much on my plate. And that was also whenever I wasn't running well because I didn't know about the celiac And so, like, I'm not perfect, and I've gone through phases where I had too much, and I think that now, having that perspective, it's easy for me to say no to things and realize what's more important, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, first a student, then an athlete, and then NIL, but it helps that I really enjoy uh, social Mm -hmm. media and making content, And so that's kind of like my reprieve from my work from the day. Like I love putting videos together and and sharing my story. And I was actually speaking with um, Emma Abrahamson. I was on the Combos Over Cold Brew podcast. Oh, there you go. (laughs) And I love Emma. She's been on this podcast. She's awesome. And it was funny because we were both relating about how we are just a particular type of people that really enjoy sharing our stories over social media. And it's kind of like, journaling you know like it's Mm -hmm. kind of like it helps you process what you've gone through that day and so it definitely helps me and like I'm benefiting from it and then other people can benefit from it too but that's something that I think has really helped me be able to do so much with it and and stay so consistent with posting every day because I love it and I love seeing the reward that comes from it and the people that I get to influence through it as well. So you have a team right like a (laughs) large team of athletes um, at Duke Yep. Are there athletes that are coming to you for advice about NIL opportunities? Does it come, have you seen it comes less naturally to some people? Because I feel the same way as you. It's always come really naturally to me. I like yep. posting. I enjoy sharing my story. I think it feels authentic because I enjoy it. It doesn't feel forced. Yeah. But there is this interesting shift of, you know, the opportunities going towards the people who are, you know, good, good at it or mm-hmm. consistent with social media. Have you been involved, um, you know, starting with your team and maybe – I know you went to NIL Summit this summer, but like sharing what you've learned to kind of larger groups, because it seems like you're a person that likes to help others (laughs) inherently. So have you been kind of sharing what you've learned within the NIL space and what you've been building and creating as a student athlete to your teammates? Yeah, I definitely have. I've had several teammates kind of reach out and I love just kind of meeting with them one-on-one and be like, yeah, let's go grab lunch. And then let them ask me like literally any questions that they want. Like I don't hold anything back. And, you know, if people want to know, like even the specifics of like how much I'm making per post, things like that. I think it's super important that people have more open conversations around that because there are so many athletes that don't know their worth and are accepting deals that are much less than what other athletes are. And the brands don't really know what the standard is because everything is so new And so Mm -hmm. the only way that you can really know like what other athletes are getting is if these other athletes are open about it and willing to share that with you. So I'm open with that. And then I'm also, there's, uh, there's going to be a, a, I'm helping a few other Duke students and I are going to be starting a group actually that kind of promotes like 
building a brand and social media. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely kind of the biggest way that I'm going to be sharing what I've learned and helping other people build that. We've got a couple of classes here at Duke that, you know, are to help people big build audiences and learn how to like share their story. But I definitely think that it comes easier to some people, like you were saying. And for those that it's harder to, the biggest thing that I love to talk about is there's kind of like that cringe moment at the beginning where you're mm. posting a lot and no one's like responding, no one's viewing it. And everyone's, and it, like, you feel like everyone's like, oh my gosh, why is she trying so hard? Blah, 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 blah. And that happens to literally everyone when they first start out. Like you just have to remind yourself that everyone had to start from zero followers at one point. And it's the people who are able to kind of like ignore that phase and push through it until something ends up going bigger or they figure out what works for them. Those are the ones who end up being able to really build a strong presence and and brand through their pages. And you don't even have to be a collegiate student athlete. You know, there are high school student athletes that are building really big audiences right now. And I think this age of social media is really changing our society and Mm -hmm. providing these opportunities if you're someone that's willing to put in the work because it's definitely a lot of work. And, like, you don't even have to be super vulnerable if you want to make your page, you know, more educational rather than your personal story. You can definitely do things to make sure that what you're putting out is something you're comfortable with and you're never doing something that you don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Have you ever taken one of those classes? I think it would be, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in a college course, but how could a college course possibly be, you know, (laughs) explaining how to post, you know, create your brand on social media platforms that are changing their algorithm every day? I think there's obviously fundamentals, but it's like, you probably know, you probably could teach that class. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I haven't taken one, so I like, can't say it. exactly <laughs> what it is. But um, I think it can be helpful also just to get like force people to think about it and get started. You know, some mm-hmm. people might need that little push. They might need that hour set aside each week to make some content because they don't get home and be like, "Oh man, I want to you know throw a video together." Because it's you know takes some effort and. Sometimes you have to like change your clothes or like sometimes I'm like, oh, I should really put on makeup for this. Although not all the time, (laughs) but it definitely like there are little inconveniences here and there. But if you can make it something that you enjoy, it's really fun. And I'm so grateful for all the opportunities that I've been able to have through it and and for the platform that it's allowed me to have. So looking forward, you're in your fourth year. Are you going to be doing a fifth year at Duke? Do you have that eligibility remaining? I do have eligibility. I don't have any like commitments anywhere, but I would love to continue running next year. Um, we'll see how it goes. I also like, obviously I'm focusing on steeple, so I'm excited for this track season, but yeah, I have another year of eligibility because of COVID and that uh, gap semester that I took. So I've got all three seasons, which is exciting. Is running professionally something that intrigues you? Or are you kind of just going to see how this year goes? And then when you go from there, because obviously, you know, competing at USA championships, you're witnessing what the next level is having worlds on us soil. You're really, and steeple has become such a interesting dynamic event in the U S especially. Um, is that something that interests you? Is that a goal to go pro? It definitely is. It's, it's been a goal since high school and that's kind of one of my things that I just, I love people say this all the time. There's like, having crazy dreams and not letting anyone else like tell you not to have them. But it was definitely funny how I like have wanted to to do pro running ever since that senior year when I really fell in love with running because I'm so new to it. And so everything's still exciting. And it's like, you know, most people are kind of nearing their end if they've been running since elementary school. And I feel like I'm just getting started and just really tapping into my potential. So that's been something that I've always wanted to do. But you know, the past couple of years, I had, hadn't run anything super crazy at Duke that really would have allowed me that opportunity. And it took, a, there were a lot of hard times. And, you know, that was those two years, it's not like it just like flew by, like you have to go through those hard races. And, and I had to go through that hard process of figuring out that I had celiac and obviously it all ended up paying off. And, and I'm not, you know, going to be naive and say that everyone has a fairy tale ending. Like, it is hard. Running is hard. But whenever you put in hard work, like I always had that big goal in the back of my mind. And I'll I'll tell a little story actually that 
is actually part of the conclusion to my book. Um, Ooh, we're getting but, a little sneak peek here. <laughs> um, my senior year of high school, I had done a couple of steeples in high school. So I ended up running that year at like New Balance Nationals for it. And it wasn't like anything I'd done super seriously. I didn't even have a water jump to practice on, but I enjoyed it because it was a little more versatile. I could use my skills from volleyball and basketball and I'm taller. I'm like five nine. So it played to my advantages. And I knew that steeple was something that would provide more opportunity if it was something that I could, you know, really hone in on and focus on in college. And so that senior year of high school, I actually changed all my passwords to 0948 because the Olympic trials qualifying standard was a 948. And I have had my password for that all of college and nobody knew that. And I, you know, my freshman year, we didn't have a track season because of COVID. So I had no clue how crazy that dream was because we had only run 2K steeples in high school and in college mm-hmm. it's a 3K. So sophomore year, my best time was a 1025. And it was like, you know, 30 seconds, it's a big jump. So it was like, you know, definitely uh, 40 seconds, actually. I was like, definitely far away from it and wasn't super like, there was no one that was like, oh, you know, Emily's going to do this and steeple, blah, blah, blah. And then... Um, last year, whenever I figured out my celiac stuff after cross country season, I had opened up the season with like a 1022 and I, my PR was at 1015 before going into our ACC championships. And this was just the most like magical night and race that I've ever had because we were supposed to host the ACC championships my freshman year. And so that got canceled because of COVID. And then sophomore year, we ended up having them at NC State. And so we finally got to have this like host special moment on our home track. And I just lined up for this race and just kind of felt like everything had finally come together. And I was like exactly where I needed to be. And I had learned so much by that point. And I ran that race and I was kind of there was one girl who was kind of out in front of the rest of us in this group. And then the last couple of laps, I like started closing in on her and everyone started getting so excited. And it was so funny. I still ended up, I ended up getting second. I, uh, I got runner up and, but it was just so cool because it was our home track and everyone was just screaming and the energy was great. But I ran a 948 that night. And so it was like, super magical like it was like a 30 second PR and what I had had the exact number that I had had my password for the past four years like I was like it's fate that's literally like a poem and so I was after that I was like this did not just happen and I also broke the school record that night and that's the time that qualified me for USA's so it was like when people have, when people like talk about having those like breakthrough moments, I was like, dang, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to have one of those. And then I like finally got to have it that night. And it was, I couldn't describe how special it was. Did you get the flow state? Were you like, oh yeah. I forgot that. Were you like almost, for me, it happens when you kind of almost envision yourself running. Yeah. You were like floating above yourself running and it's like happening to you. For sure. I didn't feel pain in those last two laps of the steeple, which is so not right for the steeple because it's such a painful race <laughs> and all the rest of them I did but it was just I don't know having all of my teammates around cheering so loud and just it being the track that we've done all our workouts on for the past three years it was it was so cool and I'm so grateful for that night also like nearly my entire family got to be there for that moment and so wow. they got to experience it we got to have like a nice dinner afterwards and it was just so fun but yeah so that's like the conclusion of my book I talk about kind of that story and how even through the two years that I was writing the book, I was still struggling nutritionally. Like I didn't know that I had this celiac issue. And so even though you might be putting in a lot of work to figure out what works best for you, like it's going to be an ever evolving process and the research is going to change and new studies are going to come out. So the most important thing you can do in your nutritional journey is keeping an open mind and always being a student of the story because it's, you know, something that is going to be ever evolving for you as you age and change your training and different things like that. And the people who see the most success will be the ones who are never like, they never think they have it all fully figured out. (laughs) 
You are wise beyond your years, Miss Emily. Well, <laughs> thank you. I think we got to end it on that because that story is just <laughs> too good. I don't know how we go anywhere else, but I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, people can find the Players Play. Would you want to share a little bit more about where to find your book, where to find you, where to contact you? Yeah, for sure. So I am on Instagram at Emily Cole, TikTok at e Emily Cole e. And I have a website for the book, theplayersplate.com. So you can sign up there to kind of get email updates about the book. I'm going to be sharing the story of uh, as it publishes, kind of giving updates on that. And everyone who signs up for the email list gets a free chapter before it publishes. You know, the girl that just keeps on giving to us. (laughs) You truly are just the epitome of someone who is more than running. And I'm really grateful for you to share your story. And best of luck this cross-country season. I know it's going to be the best season yet. You are putting in the work on and off the field. So thank you again, Emily. No, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to be on the show. And I love listening to your podcast. And I just really appreciate you letting me tell my story. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Running. I can't believe it's been five seasons already, almost 50 episodes of the More Than Running podcast. You guys have been with me from professionally running on the track and now to this new stage of my life where I'm experimenting with running, my relationship with it, and I'm bringing you guys all along the way. I truly love this sport and my purpose in this podcast is to amplify voices that I find are extremely inspiring to me and I believe have great stories to share with you guys as well. If you ever have any recommendations of someone you'd love to hear on the podcast, you know where to find me. I'm over on Instagram and TikTok at Dana Geo or at the More Than Running podcast on Instagram. More Than Running is on the Sidious Mag podcast network and is edited and produced by Mike Zerzolo. If you like what you've heard, of course, leave a review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or just share with a friend. Until next time, cheers.